Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, we have a great show lineup for today. Some more timely and interesting information as usual. You know, we're going to start off talking about uh, some ways to curb college costs, right? Yeah, college costs are pretty expensive, right? They are kind of pricey. Yes, we would. I frankly, you know, knock on wood, I have my three through college, mm-hmm. finally as of about a year ago, and uh, you know, it's a good feeling because that was a that was painful, very expensive time. There's no doubt, and there there are some ways, Steve, to reduce the cost and. Um, some of these um, you and I did with our kids, and, and it did work. So I'm excited about uh, that topic. Yeah, that's a great topic and very timely for a lot of people. And then we're going to jump into five ways to shore up your retirement. You know, if you're kind of getting into the home stretch here and you've you, you put a pencil and pad together and started writing down some numbers and you you see yourself coming up short – there are some ways to short up, you know, and it's not too late. And uh, even when you get in retirement, there's some ways to kind of shore things up and help out. So we're going to go through five good ideas of how to to help, um, you know, boost the retirement picture a little better. That's important. It really is. So, But we're going to start off here, though. Um, by the way, my name is Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 20 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. And we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcast are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, you can go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a link um, to all the podcasts. Gosh, we have over 200. Been doing the podcast now for, what, four years? Three years, three or four, a lot. Uh, yeah, I'd say Probably more four. than that. Yeah, yeah so at least four. A lot of topics Five. out there, a lot of topics, a lot of information, long-term care, budgeting, college, and so forth. And uh, you can also go to our Facebook page as well. We have a, um, a weekly prescription of the week that we put out there. It's a video, and uh, try to do some education uh, for our clients and folks out in the uh, community. Absolutely, yeah. And do check us out on our website, moneymd.net, where you can link to us and you can ask us your questions. We would love to hear from you. And we'll cover some of those questions on the air from time to time. Um, so, But you can reach us directly at info at moneymd.net. Well, John, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, Steve, this comes from Fidelity, and um, it's talking about medical cost. And this is really, it's an amazing statistic. A 65-year-old couple retiring in 2018, they'll need about $280,000 for out-of-pocket health care costs during their retirement years. Wow. two hundred eighty. Not many people think their 401k is going to go towards medical, but significant piece will. Yeah, that's what statistics show. Um, that's an incredible amount of money, and that's for out-of-pocket. That's, that's on top of what Medicare covers. A lot of that, of course, is end-of-life type expenses. You know, there's a lot that gets spent in those last five years, usually, of somebody's life, um, you know, fighting medical issues. But, you know, one good way to take care of that is funding an HSA. I like HSAs. I do like HSAs. You know, if you can fully fund that every year, what is it, like sixty-seven fifty or mm-hmm. something for a family that you can put in an HSA now? It's tax deductible, comes out tax-free. And I know we're going to talk about this in the question of the week a little bit, but um, still, if you can fully fund it and not spend it, 
Yeah. And it builds up, and that can be, kind of become your long-term care plan. Yeah, right. You know? So you have a bucket for medical, then you probably have a bucket for golf. Of course. Right? We always have the vacation golf, bucket. Vacation, vacation yeah, so golf bucket. Think about this in bucket, bucket terms. I like it. I like it. Yeah, but you, you want to get that HSA going. That can help defer this these, um, you know, costs. Those at, are massive. In retirement, no doubt. Okay, and that leads us up here to our first topic on ways to curb college costs. Yeah, Steve, this is from the U.S. News and World Report by uh, Farron Powell. And, yeah, there are some ways that we can uh, can can look at to, to reduce the cost of, uh, of college and curb some of those expenses. The average, um, you know, tuition and fees is about $9,000 to attend a public institution in-state, about 35000 for a private, but... That doesn't paint the whole picture, right? No, it does not. I mean, tuition and fees are not the only thing you have. That hardly scratches the surface. Yeah, you have books and you have, um, you know, food and shelter and so forth. You know, I think at, at Carolina and Clemson and Georgia, it's probably upwards of twenty five grand a year. I think that's on that's twenty five grand a year. That's after the state money that you get. Mm-hmm. You know, you usually get the the Hope Scholarship that pays like five grand. So I think it's more like thirty. If I'm thinking about my last year that I paid for my girls, I think I, it was like 25 out of pocket. Well, I think so the, the Clemson football tickets are going up, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you know, there's not enough money in the athletic program. <laughs> that's right. right. But well, they don't they don't subsidize the, ath- no, the academics, don't. that's for sure. So it's 25 to 30 grand going to a, you know, one of the larger institutions. Um, scholarships are one way to tackle the cost, but there's some other ones. We're going to kind of go through these and, and talk through them. The first one is obviously apply for financial aid. There's something called the FAFSA. It's the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. That form is available um, on October the 1st, and that application is used to determine federal student aid. Um, but also many colleges and universities use that FAFSA to allocate needs based awards. So the sooner you can get that filled out um, on October the 1st, the better chances that you may have some some dollars coming from the colleges if you're in the in a state of need associated yeah, with it. So that FAFSA is a very important form, and it's pretty detailed. Yeah, you want to turn over every stone when it comes to getting scholarships and financial aid, and that, that FAFSA form is step one for getting that yep. at pretty much any institution. So that's a good one. The next one here is to take out take advanced placement courses. Um, yeah, high scores on advanced placement or AP exams can help students and their families save on college tuition because many schools will award credits based on AP scores. Um, but there are a few schools such as like Brown University and Dartmouth College, New Hampshire, that don't award credits. So, you know, look at this college you're going to. Make sure they award credits before you start taking a bunch of AP courses. But if you can get those AP courses, um, you know, you get credits. You don't have to take those classes. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, you know, that helps you to get done in four years uh, with with less stress and less expense, less books, yes, less absolutely. tuition. You don't have to pay for an extra semester, perhaps. So that's a big deal. Yeah, I tell you, Matthew did the AP courses and also this next one, which is called a dual enrollment. He did those okay. two, and he went up to his first year of school as a sophomore. So awesome. he, he basically graduated in three years because he had the AP courses and then the dual enrollment. So he saved you like 25 he grand, did. man. I hope you like <laughs> gave him some kudos for that. I did. He wanted some part of that. And I'm like, I, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate think so. it, son. But that's right. uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Though. So the dual okay. enrollment is the other strategy. This is really important. Um, dual enrollment programs enable high school students 
to earn college credits for courses at participating institutions. USC Aiken, Augusta State, um, you know, community colleges, you can look into these. These programs often referred to as early college. They allow students to earn credits for free or at a reduced cost. And it wasn't free at USC Aiken, but it was significantly reduced. It was like 125 bucks for a course. Oh, I um, think that's a great idea going locally, you oh, know, knocking fantastic. out some courses. And it gives them the college experience while they're, you know, still at home and still in, in high school and so forth. Absolutely. So these courses that are taught under dual enrollment um, are separate from the high school curriculum and they may, they may count for the high school as well. So again, AP and dual enrollment, that's a great way to, to pay for college on the cheap, if you will. So um, another one here that, that Matthew actually did as well is test out of college classes. This isn't really known too much. Um, we had to do some research on it, but he did take some of these classes as well. There's something called a college-level examination program, also known as CLEP, C-L-E-P. Hmm. Um, and it's administered by the College Board, and students can take these CLEP exams on a range of topics from foreign languages to American literature. Um, he took, a, um, I think, a history class. And basically, you you can go study for it for two or three weeks and go take the exam um, while you're in college or during the summer, and you get a credit for it. Really? And it's very inexpensive. That's cool. So those three things never heard of are how he got through in three years. Wow. AP, wow. CLEP, and then the dual enrollment. Man, he deserves, he deserves <laughs> like a higher allowance or something. <laughs> That's awesome. We'll take him out to dinner. That's a good one. There you <laughs> go. Um, next one here is take advantage of the tuition tax credit. Um, yeah, families who qualify for the tuition and feed deduction on their federal taxes, they can use that. And that deduction um, was renewed by Congress in, in February of this year. It allows taxpayers to deduct qualified education expenses, such as tuition fees. And under that deduction, taxpayers can reduce their taxable income by up to Mm $4,000. So, you know, it's a pretty nice tax deduction. And, uh, you know, that'll save you some real money on taxes. That's probably $1,000 a year for most people. Absolutely. Right off their tax bill. That's a good one. Another one here, Steve, is um, if you have to use, um, you know, loans for college, try to get the, the federal Stafford loan. It's a lot less expensive from an interest rate standpoint for 2017, 2018. It was about 3.76%. Um, that's much lower than if you go out and get a, um, a loan on the market. It's going to be 5 6 or even 7%. So if you do have to get a loan, try to take advantage of the Stafford loan. Stafford loan, that's a good one. Another one here is to apply strategically to colleges. Um, so be strategic. Experts say that attending an in-state public college is most likely the least expensive option. I mean, most people know that. But, you know, there are some other selective schools that, that offset expensive sticker prices with general financial aid pa- packages. Like Princeton, for example, you know, uh, tops the U.S. News and World Report as the best value school. Um, and this ranking takes into account academic quality as well as the net cost of attendance for a student who receives the average level of need-based financial aid. So, you know, while the New Jersey University charged more than 47000 in tuition and fees last year, the school provided needs-based financial aid to 60% of the freshmen, um, and so the typical cost after grants at Princeton was only sixteen thousand, about eight, about sixteen thousand eight hundred dollars. That was like less than Clemson. Well, that's I think awesome. that's probably just tuition and, and yeah, probably you know, fees. you're probably right. You're probably right. But still, I mean, yeah. wow, that's thirty thousand dollars off the sticker price. That's pretty that's, good. 
It's pretty good. So just do your, do your homework before you apply. Don't only look at what they charge. Look at the net cost that the average student pays mm-hmm. when they go. That's right. Another one here on the list is negotiate financial aid awards. And, you know, the process of appealing an award is known as a professional judgment review. So there are families that are affected, maybe a special circumstance. Maybe there's been a job loss, salary reduction. Uh, maybe there's high dependent uh, care costs for that family, and they can qualify for a reconciliation. So to be successful with an appeal, experts say families need to demonstrate there's you know been a significant change to their financial circumstances. So it's just communicating directly um, with the college to make sure they understand your situation. And the last one here, Steve, is pretty interesting. Make sure you, pl- you plan to graduate within Four years. That's a good plan. Yeah. The the five-year plan gets real expensive. It is. And you need to understand, you know, kind of what you're going into. Um, You have to take 15 credit hours per year, you know, for four years. And sometimes you have to take more to graduate. But you want to make sure you're getting into a a major that makes sense. Because what we see a lot of times in in, uh, experience with clients and personal is, Sometimes people change majors, and that extends it from four to five years. And so if you can have some planning on the front end, and it's hard for a young person to go in and say, this is exactly what they want to do. But um, that's one way is just to to maybe go do some job shadowing when they're in high school, right? Yep. They think they want to be a doctor or something. Do you you know, go in and and spend a day with um, a physician if you can, if you're lucky enough to know someone like that. So try to make it within four years. That extra fifth year is very expensive. And yeah, that's right. And that's one reason why I'm a big proponent of going locally for a year or two, you know, because I mean, you're doing it on the cheap, you get a better idea of, kind of what that major is about and so you know if you're going to spend an extra year do it do it at home yeah, where it's cheaper that's a good point very good and point. um you know get your feel for exactly what you want to do for your student before they head off to college so that's a great great topic okay and that leads us up here to our next one and that is the question of the week yeah this has to do with the hsa like you mentioned earlier and the question is is can i pull money out of the hsa after 65 for anything can I pull it out if I want to go play golf or go on a vacation? The answer is yes, you can, but but, yeah, <laughs> but the IRS is going to say that's taxable because it's not medical. Right. Um, but there won't be a 20% penalty. So, yeah, so that's not a terrible deal. You get to pull it out. You already got a tax deduction on it, so it works just like an IRA it does. Yep. after age 65. You got your tax deduction on the front end. You pay taxes when you take it out, but there's no 20% penalty. But, you know, if you save up those out-of-pocket medical costs that you had all those years that you paid out of pocket and you haven't used those against your HSA yet, then you can take money out and offset previous Mm -hmm. medical expenses all the way back to when you open the account. Yeah. So you can pay for prior year medical. Exactly. Pull it out with no taxes. So if you're kind of doing like me, like, like we're doing, and that is we're not really pulling money out of the account. We're letting it grow tax free. We're paying our out of pocket medical costs and we're just, we're just keeping track of those, mm-hmm. you know, saving all those receipts. So down the road, when we want to pull money out, we'll have offsetting medical expenses to pull it out against. Yeah. So great, yeah. great question. That's a great question of the week. And that leads us up here to our next topic, and that is the five ways to shore up retirement. Um, yeah, this is an article very recently out of CNBC, uh, Eric Jansen. And, uh, you know, John, I mean, the prospect for retirement should be exciting. Um, You know, you've worked your whole adult life to reach this milestone. Now you're finally there. 
But what happens happens if right at the right age you finally realize you're you may be coming up short? Mm-hmm. Um, so what can you do? Well, you know, you don't want to be stuck working forever, of course. But you do have a choice if your investments in your portfolio aren't enough to support you. The good news is there are some things you can do um, if you're in this situation, but you need to act now. Um, you need to explore your options. You need to understand what you can do to make a positive impact on your financial situation. And you need to focus on what you can can control. So here are five things that you can control that you can do some make some maneuvers yep. to help your retirement picture. Yeah. So one of the things obviously is, is just push the date out, right? It, it may not be right. ideal, but um, you can still have retirement if you're uh, willing to work just a little bit longer. If you, maybe it's two years, maybe it's five years that can really have a massive impact on your nest egg. Since the last years of your career are also the highest earning years, this could help you make you know some of the catch up contributions in your 401k or, or Roth IRAs, um, and it can help you to fund your retirement by increasing your nest egg. So if you, if the thought of five years or more is unbearable in your current situation, uh, maybe there's some things that you can do to squeeze out a couple more years, maybe reduce the number of hours, go part-time flex time sometimes works. Um, you know, maybe working, you know, some from, uh, your home. Sometimes people let you telecommute, um, so talk to your supervisor about options, get creative, um, you know, so you're still having some income coming in. It's going to increase and help you in a couple of different areas. Yeah, that's good because, you know, you don't necessarily have to work an extra decade. I mean, to make a difference, um, there's a, a, working an extra year or two makes a bigger difference than most people think because those extra years, they can help your retirement in other ways like your pension you know, goes up. Um, of course, your 401k will go up. You're adding more money to your 401k. You're paying down debt. Um, that extra year or two, your Social Security benefit also goes up. So there's a lot of things working in your favor um, whenever you work just a few more years. Those last years make a huge impact on on your retirement. And it also gets you closer to drawing Medicare, which can reduce your out-of-pocket medical and insurance costs as well. So, yeah, that's something you definitely want to look at if um, if you find yourself in a in a, kind of a squeeze mm-hmm. sure. right there at retirement. Yeah. Next one here is to double down your savings and reconsider your investment strategy. Um, you know, you can still retire when you want if you're willing to make the most of your final working years. So review your budget. Find places to tighten your belt so that you can save more. Consider pursuing uh, potential pay raises, job promotions, even working a few hours of overtime to boost your income and your savings. Um, you can even, uh, you know, land a side job like driving for Uber or find a way to utilize maybe an idle asset, you know, in your in your sell uh, something sell something you yeah. know you might have property somewhere you don't you mm-hmm. don't really need that you could sell and you can get that invested get that making income for you uh exactly and then make the most of your savings by taking advantage of the catch-up contributions to your retirement plans people that are 50 or older they're allowed to contribute an extra thousand dollars per year to an individual retirement account and up to sixty five hundred dollars to their 401k plan um, they can contribute uh, an extra, <clears throat> well, excuse me, up to $6,500 to the IRA, but then an extra $6,000 to your 401k plan, up to $24,500 when you're over 50, mm-hmm. you know, and the tax benefit of these plans will also help you close the gap in your goals more quickly. 
In addition um, to simply trying to save more, though, take a moment to review your investments. Make sure you're in an investment uh, that can take advantage of the potential returns without taking too much risk. You know, make sure you're well diversified. You have, uh, you know, representative of small stocks and value stocks and international small and emerging markets. You know, the asset classes that help your portfolio get a little higher return. Um, so you want to strike the right balance. So, um, but consider, you know, talking to an advisor if you don't know how to do that. Um, and make sure that you're well diversified, but you're taking the appropriate amount of risk and getting the return that you need to to help get you to your retirement goal. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Number three here on the list of uh, ways to shore up your retirement is to um, make some money in retirement. I mean, doing nothing in retirement obviously sounds really nice while you're working, but you know, really, we don't see many people just sitting at their house day after day. Um, so you can find ways to to build an income stream. I mean, you can start your own business. Um, it can be small. Maybe you have a hobby that you can monetize or um, just work part-time uh, in a position as well. You can even consider maybe volunteering. I mean, there's a lot of organizations that'll pay a very low wage, um, but you can get a lot of, um, you know, uh, satisfaction out of doing something like that. And you still have some income coming in as well. So look for ways of increasing your income um, by part-time work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, a part-time gig, you know, maybe at a a local country club, if you're like the the golfer type like me, I mean, you get free greens fees, you may get dining room discounts. Um, It may actually be enjoyable work as well. I know a lot of retirees that do that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, that's a great way to cut down on the cost of, of, you know, your, your hobby golf, you know, because it becomes free if you work part-time and that can be an expensive hobby. I mean, earning a small amount can also, um, you know, help you in your retirement years because uh, you don't have to rely 100% on your savings to fund your lifestyle. And in turn, that means you may be able to retire with a little less in the bank. So, um, yeah, part-time gigs are not a bad way to go at all. I know lots of retirees that do that, and they really enjoy it, and they enjoy the social interaction of getting out and still having some coworkers and you know, having that experience, but doing it more on their own schedule. So I think that's a great way to go. Another one here is to adjust your lifestyle in retirement. You know, explore ways that you can live well on less so that you can still retire when you want to. You know, living a little more frugally um, is absolutely worth it when you consider why you're doing it. So take the time to identify where expenses may decrease in retirement, such as expenses that you currently have maybe for your children um, or the expenses you have, you know, traveling to and from work. Um, You know, you're going to save some money in retirement, but then look for places in your budget where your spending is no longer in line with your needs or your priorities. If you own a home, consider downsizing or moving to an area that has a lower cost of living. Um, This will not only reduce your monthly expenses, but it can also let you take advantage of some of your home equity to bolster your savings and your investments um, since you'll be able to invest some of that cash that you receive from the sale of your home if you can take some equity out of it. So the less you need to be satisfied with in retirement, the easier it'll be to retire when you want to. So if you make the most of your remaining working years, you can achieve the relaxing retirement of your dreams and it isn't too late to make up for lost time. So, you know, take a hard look at your lifestyle and your budget 
and you know trim trim the things that aren't really important to you. Yeah, that's good. And the <clears throat> last one here, Steve, is um, delaying Social Security. And we we talked about getting some additional income in retirement. Um, and so that part-time job, it may allow you to delay the social security, um, benefit and it will significantly boost, um, that benefit. So every year that you delay, you know, taking that, um, that social security check between 62 and 70, that increases by between seven and 8%, um, per year, which is a significant number. It's a big jump. If you can hold off for three or four years, you're talking about 25 or 30%. Uh, increase associated with that. And so the Social Security formula also averages your 35 years of highest earnings, including zeros, uh, determine that monthly benefit. So if you don't have 35 years, that may be something that would help that as well. Yeah, that's right. If years spent outside of the workforce um, in the past means you don't have 35 years of earning history, then those extra years of even part-time work could help increase your Social Security check because you're replacing a zero in that 35-year period. So, and Social Security was never meant to be the sole source of income in retirement, you know, but a check that's 15% higher from delaying just two years, that can make a big difference. So a few years of delaying can make a really big difference. And that's why I was saying, you know, working part-time or delaying your retirement even a couple years makes a lot bigger difference than most people realize in the amount of income you're going to have in retirement. Um, so, but the most effective way to close the gap between your current, you know, retirement savings and future needs is by taking advantage of the combination of these options that we talked about, you know, kind of putting them all together, you know, it won't be easy, but if you make the most of your remaining working years, you can achieve the retirement of your dreams. It's really not too late to do that. And so, you know, you can make up for lost time. You don't have to do it alone. Reach out to a planner or somebody to help, um, you know, review your situation. Obviously, we're happy to sit down with you and take a look at your situation as well. So give us a call. But just to recap, you know, the takeaways here are, you know, consider working extra extra few years to double down on your savings habits. Review your investment approach, balancing security and growth. Think about a post-career employment opportunities, working part-time to see if you can cut back on your expenses also in retirement and delay your Social Securities and watch your benefit climb 7 or 8% per year in retirement. So that are, those are the ways to shore up your retirement, and that leads us up here to our prescription of the week. Yeah, Steve, this um, prescription really came from a conversation um, I had with a, a friend um, uh, recently, and, and we see this pretty frequently about um, one spouse really does the financial, you know, the details yep. and understands it, knows where everything is and so forth, and the other spouse really has no idea. That's right. It's really not unusual. And, and you know, many times it's it's the um, it's the wife that is in that situation. And sure. So we see, you know, why, uh, women live longer than men. So, um, you know, if the, the, the husband passes away and he's done the financial and, and the spouse doesn't and the wife doesn't know where it is, it creates a lot of stress. Um, this situation, this uh, friend was is going through a divorce and she basically says, I, I had no idea what we had and where it was. And mm-hmm. so she's really panicked right now about what she's going to do. And so I'm trying to help her come up with a plan and it's gathering data. And when you go through um, a, you know, the divorce process, you have to document everything, assets and liabilities. And so for us, it's a roadmap. We can look at that and kind of figure out what they're going to have and so forth. But the prescription is, is, is basically if you're not involved or don't have a summary sheet, we talk about this frequently 
for your family, um, whether it's someone passing away or going through a divorce, um, you need to create that. You need to have that, those conversations. If you're not educated, um, we do see, unfortunately, when people are divorcing there, they do funny things with money Yeah, sometimes and Definitely. those funny things are not good. Not always. <laughs> so, um, you know, just, just have those conversations with your loved one. Um, whoever's doing the, uh, the financial piece of it, and we'll certainly probably be more than happy to you know share those details with you, but document it as well. So that's a prescription. That's right. Yeah. And asset, I'm a big fan of the asset inventory sheet as we talk about a lot. Um, you know, I have one that we update every, every year and, you know, I go over it with Kathy and mm-hmm. just so she can have a picture of where everything is, you yep. know, if something happens to me and she'll know where to go and it has all the account, you know, names and how it's titled and the, the, you know, the, the name of the company and, you know, an estimate of how much is in there at the end of the year and, um, phone numbers and phone numbers, that kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 You just want to have all that in one nice place. I have one nice sheet that kind of summarizes that. So yeah, that is the prescription of the week is to, to, uh, you know, talk to your spouse and, and get a nice summary and keep that up to date of uh, what you have. Yeah, and I would say as as you age, you know, include your kids on where that's located. I know my, my parents have had that conversation that they have that sheet and it's in XYZ drawer in their house. So I yep. know where to go to it if something happens or, you know, when something happens to them. We actually have that uh, financial account inventory sheet on our website as yes. well. So moneymd.net, you can go out there and check that out. Yeah, there you go. You have a great starting place. Okay, this has been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net, and email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.